Thanks for checking out the Christian Life Austin podcast. If this is your first time listening, make sure to check us out at clcaustin.com for more info on how you can connect with us. We trust that you will enjoy today's message. Thank you for listening. Everybody say, are you the one who is to come? You may be seated. You're awesome people, and I love the fire out of you. If you're a guest here tonight, we honor you. Let's give our guest a great hand. We honor you tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming to church on this Wednesday night. I do want to say that in all your giving and all your buying, please do not forget the gift to the Lord. Please don't forget your tithing, your offering to the church, and because that's what makes this church and keeps this church going. That's the first thing I've said about that in six months, so I just thought I'd say that's my semi-annual message, all right? In Washington, D.C., in 1926, there was the weirdest auction that was ever held. There were 150,000 patented models of old inventions that were declared obsolete, then placed on an auction block for public auction. Prospects and onlookers chuckled as item after item was put up for bid, such as a bed bug buster. What? Or an illuminated cat designed to scare away the mice. Then there was a device to prevent snoring. It consisted of a trumpet that reached from the mouth of the snorer to his own ear and, <laughs> and was designed to awaken him instead of the neighbors. That's cute. Then there was this adjustable pulpit that could be raised or lowered to the height of the preacher, any size could stand behind it. This auction of old patent models was worth at least 150,000 laughs, but it also represented 150,000 broken dreams. They represented a mountain of disappointments. It may seem inappropriate to talk about broken dreams and disappointments this close to Christmas. After all, this is the season to be happy. But it's not a jolly time for everyone, and I'm not trying to be too serious. For those who have lost loved ones this year or in, this, in, the, in the past few years, it's a tough time of the year. And I want to stop and say I want all you to know that this church loves you, and we are praying for you during this time of the year. Can you say amen to all these people? And in a world that glorifies materialism, there are those who are struggling financially that may find it the most disappointing time of their life. John the Baptist knew about disappointment. John was in prison now, and he's looking for a sign, a sign that the long-awaited Messiah had really, really arrived. That's so ironic. See, John the Baptist is the one who first proclaimed his coming. John 1.29, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. A lot has happened to John since we last saw him preaching on the banks of the River Jordan and baptizing those people in the wilderness. And now his heart is cast down. See, John's message was repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That message burned in John's soul. The man and the message could not be separated. He was not a man preaching a message. He was a message preaching a message. John wasn't afraid to proclaim his message to religious leaders or to royalty alike. He was a prophet. He was a prophet sent from God, a voice crying in the wilderness, and he was sent to prepare the way of the Lord. And he wasn't even afraid to proclaim it to King Herod himself. He wasn't afraid of the king. That's why he was in jail. 
This is not the same King Herod who was ruler at the time of the birth of Jesus Christ. It was his son, Herod, Herod Antipas, who turned out to be worse than his own father. Herod Antipas seduced and later married his brother Philip's wife. But first he killed his brother Philip so that the marriage would look all right. The nation was in shock. John the Baptist condemned Herod's behavior and he was placed in prison. And while in prison, John realized that his career as a prophet probably was done and his life was probably over as well. However, there was one thing that John wanted to know before he died. Just one thing. John wanted to know beyond a shadow of a doubt if Jesus was really the Messiah. Can you blame him? He had given everything he had, including in a few days, his very life. He wanted to know, has it all been in vain? Is it an illusion? Is it just a dream? In the wilderness, John believed that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. However, in the face of certain death, he was He had some doubts. He wanted to know for sure. You see, John lived, folks, by a code of ethics, a prophetic code of ethics. The ethical code was simply this. If a prophet prophesied and the prophecy did not come to pass, he was deemed a false prophet and he was killed. Let's say it again. If a prophet prophesied and the prophecy did not come to pass, he was deemed a false prophet and was killed. God, I wish... That some of these people that say, thus saith the Lord to a lot of people that's driving them down a primrose path. I wish God step up and at least hurt them a little. <laughs> it's time for somebody to stand behind this pulpit and preach the gospel. Amen. And preach the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And give people a chance to be saved in this last hour. Can you say amen? amen. But John didn't fear death by Herod Antipas' anger. He didn't fear that. He feared dying and found out that he was a false prophet. See, death was not his fear. Dying without telling the truth was his horror. He wanted to be known as a man that preached the truth. He had prophesied three things about Jesus. Number one, he said, there's one coming after me. There's one coming after me who's preferred before me. The latchet of whose shoes I'm unworthy to stoop down and unloose. And I indeed baptize you with water. But when he comes... Number two, prophecy. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And with fire. I wish everybody that got the Holy Ghost would get the fire with it. In fact, I have a problem with people that don't have the fire with their Holy Ghost. We don't need some simmering, slumbering embers any longer. We need people that are full of the Holy Ghost and the fire in this hour right now. Amen. Clap your hands all over this house. And he said, and he will thoroughly, watch this now, prophecy number three. He'll thoroughly purge the threshing floor. And he will divide the wheat from the shaft and he will burn the shaft with fire unquenchable. He's talking about the soon coming of the Lord that we're looking for right now. In the prison house though, 18 months later after he had prophesied these things, only one of those prophecies had come to pass. And he couldn't live with himself. And he had to find the right answers. So he sent two of his disciples to find Jesus and to ask him, are you one who is to come? Or do we look for somebody else? John Baptist found himself in a disappointing and disheartening predicament. Things are not working out like he had expected. Something, sometimes that happens. Disappointment strikes. And at the most unusual times, 
sometimes, particularly at Christmas. This is not an easy time of the year. A few years back, there was a haunting country song that went like this, and I'm sorry to bring this up to you, but this is the kind of music I liked when I was a kid. A man named Merle Haggard sang it. I'm sorry. I'm not Tupac. I'm not the next rapper. I'm country music. I was country when country wasn't cool. Thank you very much. And he sung a song, If We Make It Through December, Everything's Going to Be All Right, I Know. It's the coldest time of winter, and I quiver when I see the falling snow. If we make it through December, we've got to make it. Some of you know the meaning of those words. If we make it through December. It was December for John the Baptist. He was hurting in Herod's prison. He was hurting physically, and he was hurting emotionally, and he was hurt spiritually. He was gripped with disappointment because Jesus had not done what he thought that Jesus should do. And I want to preach today the first reason that he was disappointed because he had a different expectation of what a Messiah would do. He did not expect Messiah to operate the way Messiah operated. He was a product, folks, of his time. He expected the same kind of Messiah that everyone else expected who was Jewish in that day. One who would drive out the despised Romans and establish the kingdom for God Almighty. And while languishing in that prison, John must have wondered why more wasn't happening. What was Jesus waiting for? He must have thought to himself time and again, why doesn't he drive those Roman dogs out? He was disappointed because of his faulty expectations. I know many times when I was a kid, pardon me for using personal illustration, but when I was a kid, I'd get all built up for Christmas. I'd get these huge expectations. I'd get these big dreams in my life, and we did not have a lot to get big dreams. And then I would get presents that wasn't big dreams. But you know what? If I hadn't had those dreams and got those presents, I would have been excited. But because I had the dreams, my expectation was more than what I received sometime. And Leo uh, Bascaglia learned about that kind of disappointment as a teenager. He writes, I remember, I remember the sudden appearance under my family's Christmas tree of a gift that was two feet taller than I was and weighed twice as much as I weighed. And I looked on the tag and it said for Leo, it was for me. I was going to get the biggest gift under the tree. And he said our tree was full of our tree was full of gifts of all kinds, but there was one standing like a tower in the middle that had my name on it. And he said during the weeks leading up to Christmas, he could think of nothing else. I get to open the big gift. He imagined all kinds of terrific, terrific presents. On Christmas Day, his family gathered, and the main attraction was to see the opening of his present. And Bascalia remembered how many times in the past two weeks he had anticipated that very moment. Even as he was opening, he remembered experiencing a vague sense of disappointment. The great mystery was about to end and he would no longer be able to engage his soaring dreams in what he was about to open because he was about to face reality and not dreams. And the present turned out to be a beautiful, beautiful handmade desk his uncle had built. A desk for a 12-year-old boy, a 13-year-old kid. By this time, nothing of this world could have satisfied, he said, my expectations. And I can't imagine what I had expected. Still in the disappointment was a lesson which would last me a lifetime. And here's what he said. Sometimes we are disappointed, not because of what we receive is bad, but because we have faulty expectations. 
I want to preach a little bit here tonight. I want to preach a little bit here tonight. There are people in this very room who feel like life has somehow cheated you, blessed others around you, but cheated you. But I want to go on record and say, I guarantee that if you that feel like you're cheated lost everything you have right now, lost everything you had like Job in his book, and then suddenly had it all restored, you would be so exceedingly grateful we couldn't set you down. Because everybody in this house that lives in America and enjoys the benefits of this wonderful land that we call home has a blessing in your life that nobody else around the whole world can imagine. Somebody ought to clap your hand right now. I believe that sometimes we are disappointed with what we receive because our expectations are so great and we cannot come down to a level of receiving what God wants to give us at this time. Can you understand what I'm saying right now? I was asked to go on a, on a golf trip years ago. Mind you, imagine that. Somebody asked me to go on a golf trip. And it was this real, real big-time preacher that asked us to go. He had this big church, and we were young men. And he said, come on down to Destin. I've got this huge condo on the eighth floor. We're going to have a time. He invited three of us young pastors, and we're going to have a time. And he was a great guy. And I told my wife before I left, I said, baby, I just can't imagine what we're going to do this week, my Lord. He's got a schedule for all these top courses in Destin, and we're going to have the time of our life. And then we walked into a condominium that was built in the 1940s. <laughs> and it hadn't been repaired. It hadn't been fixed since 1952. <laughs> and it didn't have air conditioning. And it didn't have any heating. It was almost the kind that they said, you can't live here no more. And I'll never forget, you remember Pastor Ron that preached a few Sundays ago? He was another pastor that was invited. And I remember <laughs> we had a bedroom we shared. We had twin beds that were this far apart. And I could reach over and rub his head. <laughs> and I said, Ron, do you remember as a young evangelist? Do you remember as a young evangelist when you would hear that somebody was asking you to come and preach and they had this church that ran 300 people? And you went to preach and you just couldn't imagine what it was like to preach to more than 20 people as a young preacher. And you walked into that place and you had it all built up and everything was just glorious and everything was wonderful. And you walked in and it said, oh God, this is not what I thought it was. And I said, Ron, I'm in one of those moments right now. And he got so tickled, he almost rolled out of the bed. I said, Ron, I'm, I'm, I'm eight years old again and I'm dreaming of Christmas again. But I stand here tonight and I want to tell you, many people think that certain things ought to happen in their life. And so they get these huge expectations this time of the year. And then they're not, they're not happy and they're not satisfied when something on the lower end comes in. But I want you to stop right now. And I, we're going to ask for a hand clap in just a moment. I want you to start clapping your hands in just a moment for everything that God has done for you on the smallest scale this year. Everything that's happened to you on the smallest scale. Come on. Come on. Praise him big for the small stuff. Praise him big for the small stuff. Come on. Praise him big for the small stuff. Because anything that's in God's hand is a massive thing. Hallelujah. Glory. 
Now live that life the rest of this holiday season. I'm going to be honest with you. My wife and I have decided not to buy anything for each other. How's that for expectation? Nobody likes to open gifts more than I do. I am the official professional gift opener of this church. And we've decided with tears running down our face the other night, we decided this is what we're going to do. And she looked at me and said, you better not break that pledge. You better not get me anything. And I said, baby, mm, that's hard to do. But we've decided we're going to give ourselves to the Lord. We're going to give him ourselves, And that's not being big shot. But I promise you, God has been good to this preacher. And God has been good to this church. And if nothing else happens, there's an Old Testament Hebrew word called denu. It means simply, if nothing else happens in my life, I will still continue to praise the Lord with everything that's in my heart. I will bless his name at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I will say of the Lord, you are my God. Come on, folks, let's be grateful tonight for everything that he has done in our lives. Glory. I didn't mean to wind up preaching. I'm just going to give you a Bible study. The second reason John was disappointed was that he was looking for all the wrong signs. The disciples of John caught up with Jesus and asked Jesus John's question, are you he that should come or do we look for another? Here's what Jesus answered. Go tell John what you hear and see, that the blind receive their sight. That's pretty good stuff. That the lame walk, that's, that's pretty decent. That the lepers are cleansed. Nobody got cleansed. That the deaf hear. And the dead are raised. And the poor have the gospel brought to them. That's pretty good stuff. The day of the Lord had arrived. There was evidence that God's kingdom had begun. Just look around to see what's happening. And as those disciples, as those disciples left. Jesus said, oh, by the way, tell John, tell John that there is, blessed is he who is not offended in me. That in the original means, translated means, tell him, blessed is the man that don't get upset on what time I run my business on. Because I'm going to do my business my way. I promise you, if God has promised you a healing you hang in there. A healing's coming down the road. If God has promised you a job, you hang in there. That job's a coming. If God has promised you a baby in your family, you hang in there. That baby's a coming. Amen. If God has promised you things in your life, you hang in there. Don't you give up. Blessed is he that's not offended in me. Don't get upset on what time he runs his business on. We may be microwave and God may be crockpot, but the last time I checked, a crockpot cooks a pretty good meal before it's all said and done. And I'll eat crockpot cooking a long time after I'll eat microwave cooking. Come on. We don't have it right now, but God's got it for us. It's time that we don't get caught up looking for all the wrong signs. In fact, Isaiah said, the eyes of the blind shall be opened when the Lord comes. And the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame shall leap like a deer. Those weren't the signs John were looking for. He was looking for something more dramatic. He was looking for thunder and he's looking for lightning. He wasn't looking for a still small voice. Charles Carroll's one of my favorite people. 
I've read his stuff for a long time. In his travels across the United States, he found what looked like a Christmas tree, folks, growing in the most unlikely place in the Rockies. He wrote this. He said, trees need good soil and they need good weather, but up there there's no soil and there's terrible weather. And nothing can live up here and certainly not a tree. That's why the tree was kind of a miracle. It was growing where no other trees was. On a barren stretch of US 50, without another tree in sight, grows this huge juniper tree. And nobody remembers, folks, who put the first Christmas ornament on it. A motorist with lots of time years ago, you can look it up, you can Google this. But from that day to this, the tree has been redecorated each and every year. Nobody knows who does it, but each year by Christmas Day, the juniper has become a Christmas tree. The tree, which had no business growing here at all, has survived against all odds. And people who live miles away in all directions know and love that tree. Just looking at it makes you think about how unexpected life on earth can be. A tree so lonely and so brave that it seems to offer courage to those who pass it and and a message. It is the Christmas message that there is life and hope even in this rough and tough and tumble world that we live in. Isaiah wrote, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad and the desert shall rejoice and blossom. But see... There aren't the kind, that, those aren't the kind of signs that impress people. We want greatness written large. We want somebody to say, God is here. But God chooses to work in the little insignificant places of life like a manger. Like a carpenter shop. And like a place called Calvary. That's how God does his business. I want you to understand that we are here. Growing in a place that we shouldn't be growing. This church is growing in a place that we shouldn't be growing like we're growing. But God knows his plannings. He knows what he's doing with us. And I think we ought to clap one more time because we're not looking for the wrong signs. We see what God is doing for us. Let me finish. And the third reason John was disappointed was that he didn't give God time. God wanted, John wanted now action. This generation, especially right now, we want microwave specials. We want that air pop popcorn. But God takes his own sweet time. After all, he's been working on this world for hundreds of millions of years. And his purpose is just as sure and his plan is just as unstoppable. I got to tell you another Christmas story. I'm full of Christmas stories tonight. Read about a man named Lincoln Steffens. And one Christmas... While growing up, he wanted a pony. He was eight years old. He wanted a pony more than anything. And so he said, I prayed and I hoped that my parents would one day realize my plight. I wanted a pony. And he said, my good little sister, to comfort me, remarked that Christmas was coming. But Christmas is always coming in our home. And parents were always asking, what do you want for Christmas? And if you'll be a good boy and a good girl, we might get what you want for Christmas. And his parents played that game with him, asking him what he wanted. And he said, all I want is a pony. He said, if I don't get a pony, just get me nothing. (laughs) Well, I like his stance. Christmas Day arrived and the children were up at 6 a.m. And at first, they were overwhelmed by the number of presents. His sisters knelt down and they had presents all around him. And they were squealing with delight until they looked up and saw him standing there in his pajamas with nothing. Absolutely nothing. And the young boy didn't get the pony. 
he wanted more than anything else for Christmas. And the sister joined him in agony, running back to their own bedrooms and crying like babies because little brother Lincoln didn't get what he wanted. He refused to eat anything. He was too upset. He went to the stable with his mother, and his mother came out to comfort him. He looked in the window, and he saw his daddy looking out the window, watching him for a couple of hours. It was the worst Christmas ever. Not one present was under the tree. Then he noticed something. He saw a man riding a pony down the street. And the pony with the had a brand new saddle, and it was a kid's saddle, not an adult saddle. And the man was reading numbers of the houses. He, he saw him reading it. And he looked at our door and he passed by. Lincoln remembered. And that was the last straw. When that pony with that kid saddle and that man riding passed by his house, he fell on the ground and cried in anguish. Then all of a sudden he heard somebody speak behind him. Say, kid, you know a boy named Lenny Steffens? Yes, he sputtered. That's me. Well, then this is your house? I've been looking all over for you, son. The man told Lenny his excuses for being so late, but the boy never heard him. He said, I could scarcely wait for him to get off that pony. <laughs> God, I love these kind of stories. Paul Harvey, good day. Before too long, he was riding down the street on his pony. And to this day, he still doesn't know if that was his best Christmas ever or his worst Christmas ever. You reading me? You see, the pony was always coming. But because of his impatience and uncertainty, it drove him to the brink of despair. I've been there. You've been there. We've all been there. I've often said that God does his greatest work at night when it's so dark. When Moses couldn't see, he couldn't see anything of God. God was closest to him. He said, I'm going to let my presence pass you by but I'm not going to let you see my face, only my hinder part, because no man can see the face of God and live. And when Moses couldn't see a thing, God had his hand right here in front of his face. And sometime when we're in our darkest hour, let me preach to you right now. When you're in your darkest hour, God's standing right there beside you. Right there beside you. I remember one night when I was just a kid, I'm talking about my daddy again, it's Christmas. I had a nightmare. I used to have nightmares. And daddy said, son, you ought to feed the horses before you go to bed. They, they won't wake you up at night. You'll get it after a while. <laughs> and I had one of them nightmares, and I was, I was flouncing in the bed, and I was about to lose it. I remember it just like it was yesterday. And all of a sudden, I saw this figure standing in my room. And I thought, oh, God, the man, the nightmares come to take me out. And then I realized that's not any old man. That's my daddy. That's my father. He's in my room with me. I remember when we went through our tragedy and I tried to put Misty in her room and I was in my room and I'd hear her in there crying and I'd go in there and just touch her little old arm with my hand and she'd go off to sleep just like that because there was something about a dad coming into a room when things were all down and things were hurting. I'm here to declare to you, don't you go through this Christmas season Worrying about if God's going to show up for you or not. He's going to show up. And he's going to be right on time for you. And he's going to be there to encourage you, to strengthen you, to lift you, and to bless you, and to help you. Come on, through everything you're going through in your life. Why don't you just cast your cares on him? Why don't you just cast your cares on him because he cares for you. 
and he loves you with everything that's in his life. He loves you. The kindergarten teacher carefully lined up four little angels for the annual Christmas program. And each carried, a, each carried a huge cutout letter, and they stood side by side. The letter would spell S-T-A-R, star. A slight mix-up occurred, and those president church nearly fell out as four little performers took their places in reverse, and they spelled out R-A-T-S. <laughs> That's what happens <laughs> when you get your priorities out of order. Bethlehem teaches us about expectations, about signs, and about patience. Because in your patience do you possess your soul. No, it's not a sermon that will make you go howdy-ho. It's not a sermon that make you want to run out of here and run down the street to Whataburger. Not that kind of sermon. But it's a message to let you know that Jesus Christ is in this world. And he was born. And he's working for us. And he is here for us. And yes, he's not a false Messiah. He is the real deal. Amen. He's the real deal. Amen. He's the real deal. I want to ask a question. Randy, come. I want to ask a question before I close. I want to ask a question before I close. I know I preach Christmassy tonight, but I want to ask a question before I close. Has anybody in this house... Ever had the Lord just kind of come to your rescue when you say, you know what, I thought I was going down. I thought it was over, but here the Lord just stepped up. Anybody had that happen in your life? You know what hell wants to do? Hell wants to make you forget those kind of thoughts. He wants you to make you think that God's never done anything for you real good and real powerful. But I want you to raise those hands again and say, yes, he's been there for me. Come on, he's been there for me. Look at here, Lord, look at here. Everybody in the house has got their hands up. Here's what I want us to do the rest of this holiday. I want you to think nothing but good things. Nothing but positive thoughts about what God has done in your life. Don't have exceeding expectations of what might happen or what might not happen this Christmas. Receive what God has for you. God has exactly what you need in your life. Don't look for a sign outside of his presence. His presence is fullness of joy. Amen. And at his right hand, there's pleasures forevermore. And understand, you may have to be a little patient, but I promise you, look up, Martha, look up, Mary. The Lord's coming right on time. He will be there for you, and he'll take care of your situation, and he'll carry you through the holiday season. Stand to your feet all over the house. Receive the word of the Lord, and clap your hands real big right now. God is with us. Emmanuel is here. He's with us. He's with us. He's with us. Woo, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me read you a little something here. It just hit my mind. It's not, it wasn't in my notes, but I'm going to find it for you right quick. This is found in the book of Habakkuk, one of my favorite books, the entire Bible. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olives shall fall, fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stall. That's absolutely as bad as it can get. Verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. For the Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like hinds feet. 
He'll make me walk upon mine high places to the chief singer on the stringed instruments. Whatever's going wrong in your life, I will glory the God of my salvation. I will glorify the God of my salvation. And he will make my feet like hinds feet. I'm going to another level. And when I put my hands at a particular place, when I climb, my feet are going to be where my hands were. He'll make my feet like hinds feet. In other words, I'm going to climb. I refuse to allow this to be a Christmas that I don't rejoice over the fact that Jesus is born. Amen. That I get caught up in all the other stuff. I'm going to rejoice because Jesus is born in my life. Come on. Clap your hands real big. Now we're going to sing a little bit. We're going to sing a little bit. And I want this to be the end of the sermon tonight. So keep recording, Jaron. Keep recording. It goes like this. Hallelujah. Come on, sing it. Hallelujah. Sing it now. Hallelujah. That concludes today's message. Please visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.